Welcome to Hummingbird, conversation about identity, Celtic and Métis, healing and wellness, the spirit of place, and the pull of mystery. We linger in conversation about things at the center of our creative work and life. We respectfully acknowledge that this podcast is recorded on the treaty and traditional territories of many nations, including the Anishinaabeg, the Michisaugig Anishinaabeg, the Chippewa, the Haudenosaunee, the Mississaugas of the Credit, and the Wendat peoples. These lands are now home to many diverse First Nations, Inuit, and Métis peoples, and are covered by Treaty 13 with the Mississaugas of the Credit and the Williams Treaty, treaties to peaceably share and protect this land through friendship and respect. We thank those who have cared for this land, and we are grateful for the opportunity to live here and connect through conversation. So today we are entering into just a freestyle conversation about the creative life, the creative journey, and just learning from each other about what that's all been like. And Jessica, can I just add creative conversation, right? Always a creative conversation. (laughs) (laughs) So we started thinking after our last show where we were looking at the heartbeat of the ground. After that, we started, I don't know, one thing led to another and, and we started thinking about the journey that we're on, the process versus the product, the micro and the macro, and how we're both at different places right now and at similar places, we're both the same. <laughs> it's both similar and different. In terms of our journey, we've both got books that are coming out within the next little bit. And we're both in the process of, of working on other pieces. And we've both been writing with different levels of intensity. You've been focused on it far more than I have. But for the last 20 years. So neither of us are new to writing. There's a gift in taking the time just to reflect on what have the last two decades been like? What has the journey been like? What's helped me along the way? And how do I know where I need to go next? Yeah, thanks for that, Jessica. Yeah, there's so much in this. And it's interesting when you are in a place that puts you in a place to look back, because often we're just looking ahead. And I know that that's been the case for me with the books that I've worked on through the years, through the past 20 years, you're finished one book and and you're working towards the next or hopeful for the manuscript to come into shape to be the next. Sometimes you just don't know if that's going to happen. And I'm at a stage now where I have a new and selected coming out. This is a first for me. So it's the title is Put Flowers Around Us and Pretend We're Dead, New and Selected Poems. So it's really my journey as a poet from the beginning when I started publishing to now and the journey will continue. But this is sort of a stop point for me right now to sort of take stock to see from the first book that I have written, Pupa, to the last book of poetry, which would be The Celery Forest. And there's poems from all of my collections in this one book. And then there will be new poems as well. And looking it over and having it just ready to go to the printers and seeing it sort of before it gets shipped off to become officially a book, it's really interesting to sort of see up close all of the poems in one space. And then having sort of that moment where you're going back to the earlier 
selves as you move through your life. And oftentimes, you probably find this too, Jessica, you'll have certain memories of poems when you are writing them and where you were in life. Some poems I don't quite remember. They're, they're more, I remember the poem and, and the results and so on, but I don't necessarily have a physical memory of me being in space and time. But some of them are, are very much like that, including some that I wrote when I was in Northern Ireland and then others when I first came back to Canada and then some when I lived in Burlington, some now when I've lived in Toronto. And so it's a life. And so interesting because as we know in our conversations, we know that poems talk to one another as as we experience them and how sometimes in that juxtaposition, new things can come up like the heartbeat of the ground, which I hadn't really thought of, of that phrase in my poem, Leash of Deer, until you pulled it out. And then it became something to actually explore in our own poetics and our own writing. So interesting how when the energy is within how certain ways that how we move through life are our experiences then pull out these these strands that are embedded within our work. So it's a constant kind of engagement and sort of seeing too the way that the quarry has really been a image for me and continues to be an image for me that sense of a blasted landscape and how it's becomes for me too a metaphor for grief. And I know some of the listeners will know that because I've shared this many times about how it was the loss of both of my parents that led me to poetry and has never left me. And so I feel I've been the quarry and the heart of a uh, heartbeat of the quarry and core is core, of course, for the French word for heart, and that's connected to quarry. So all of these connections, but it's interesting when I see the new poems now and, and thinking about, there's not necessarily one element that you can all just pinpoint and say, well, these poems are more like water or these poems are more like earth, but in some ways, I can see that. So in my earlier poems, I feel they're more earthly connected. And then the later poems, they seem more connected to air. And so these are things that I'm noticing right now in my own development. And I think thinking about the journey of the new poems that are in this book, I could not have written them without going through the journey, if that makes sense. So so there's this constant sort of, as you say, the, the micro of the, of the poem, and then the macro of the journey, and then the macro, how it comes out of the micro, one poem at a time, one shift at a time. So it's a constant process of flow. And even we were talking about the river underneath and how that river is always there. And much like sometimes when we feel we're in a space of dormancy and things aren't happening, but that river within is still doing something and moving. And then all of a sudden pops out and there comes a new development or a new way that you want to move as a writer. And so it's really interesting just to sort of let the process be part of your life, almost like it's like a you're accompanying it and doing this dance with it as you move in and out. All of these things are coming to mind from your comments about process. And thanks for thanks for saying we're just going to talk about creative writing, creative life and creative conversation, Jessica. And, and I have to tell you that uh, as you were speaking here, this is a, you know, beautiful day. And in spring, the sun is shining as we're recording this today. And as you were talking about the shift from poetry being focused on the earth, to the air, a morning dove started flying back and forth across my window, literally enacting the air as you were talking about the air. I just love the synchronicity of watching that while I was listening to you talk <laughs> about that change. And now I, I think it's sitting nearby and it's got its, its woo 
it's singing over there now I can hear it singing which is just really 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 lovely but find just like this interaction say that I'm having with this morning dove as I'm also listening to you that's kind of how the the interactions can feel with with our poems too I know that every spring the morning doves come to this window I know that they hear my voice through the window and there must be something in the vibrations of that that attracts them so they come here because otherwise my house is a pretty quiet house so they tend to be here they tend to like to be part of my online meetings or conversations when I'm in this particular room similar with the poetry and the writing pieces when you come back to them you know that certain themes come up every year you know that things will come back around or find their way to you. This is what I find over time. But it's always a little bit different. You notice a little bit more. I find I don't have to work as hard at looking. Things just appear and then you have a moment where you're thinking about air and then air is is literally brought to life in front of you. I love that the morning doves were, were doing that and enacting our conversation. And that's just so beautiful. And I think I think there's just something so powerful. The fact that they're called morning as an M-O-U-R-N, like mourn as in as as in that the sadness. And so but yet in that flight they're their motion. So there's that being poems as, as they moved back and forth. And I know too, that they've accompanied our journey too, because I, I believe it was last spring when we were talking, Jessica, and I recall too, that you shared some pictures of them looking in at you. Yes. <laughs> yeah, right? they always do that, right? So that happens yeah. every spring. And, and I know that it happens, but it's it's kind of like the journey of, of, of creativity and, and the process and, and the writing of pieces, because even though there's been a shift in your work, say from the quarry, to a more ethereal air-like quality, I think that you'll still find there are connections back to the quarry there too, right? So although it's shifted, it's not moved completely away. There's still a relationship and a connector that's linking where you were to where you are now, which leads me to a question. I've been carrying some questions while you've been been talking and I've been writing them down. And, And one of them I had was, when did you go from writing poems to knowing that you were a poet? Oh, that's a really interesting question. There's so much doubt in the journey as you know and we've talked even about Keats and the negative capability about living in the doubts and the mysteries and uncertainties and so I think that's a constant companion as well and I know some people who I would say are poets are often wary of actually calling themselves poets because they feel it's a title that they necessarily don't feel they should bestow on themselves and that someone else has to do that so there's all kinds of things I think people have to kind of find their own way with what they're comfortable with and I think because I've just sort of had this sort of accompaniment for such a long time that I feel it's so integral to who I am that the sense of poetry and poets and poetics and all those P words are just part of who I am now. And I'm not necessarily saying that I am always the capital P poet, but I'm the practicing poet. I'm the poet that is, as you say, listening and and in that way, being in tune to these synchronicities, just like you described and different ways of knowing and how for me, poetry is the, the route that I can kind of move into to synthesize these things that are all connected 
connected to mystery in the end. And I think if anything, when I think about what the journey has been for me, it has been not necessarily getting closer to the mystery, but getting closer to being part of the mystery in the way that the poems can almost like move through what mystery is without actually solving what it is, if that makes sense. Almost like being in a space of embracing what mystery is and then coming out. And so there's been some encounter, but not necessarily to lead to a solution. And so I can't really say when there would have been that point. I guess in some ways it's, there's a big moment when you see your work published for the first time and you actually see your name in print that's a big moment and then there's another big moment when a chapbook comes out so that you actually have a small collection together and and that's being released and there's a lot of letting go then that is very new because you've worked so hard in your own little internal world to to work on these pieces and then they're not yours anymore so you're vulnerable and then that happens every time as we know with your poetry book the vulnerability that comes out with putting it out and I know too with your book coming out as well there's that sense of excitement but also letting go and and it's it's a continual process I think you you're demonstrating beautifully that at the heart of being a poet is pain attention and it's a journey and a process it's not it's not a moment that passes no it's a way no. of seeing and a way of being in the world and it reminds me of this quote by Mary Oliver who spoken about her before I absolutely love her and she says this is the first the wildest and the wisest thing I know that the soul exists and is built entirely out of attentiveness That's beautiful, Jessica. Could you read it one more time? I'd love to hear it again. This is the first, the wildest, and the wisest thing I know, that the soul exists and is built entirely out of attentiveness. Mary Oliver. I love the pairing of wildness and wise. And I think there's so much in that, in that sense too, as you say, of paying attention, because that really is where things start. And I think in seeing that can lead to so many different things that could open up. I know that that happens in our conversations and and even in the conversations that we've had where we're paying attention to each other's work and seeing things that the other didn't even know was embedded there. And that in itself, I think, is another way that the attention can lead us to new insights about where we've been, even if we've been producing these pieces of poetry, of, of prose, how they are also holding a mystery from us. So there's always something to sort of enact with, as you say, pay attention to. And I I find that when I listen to you and what I've known of you over the years is that that's one of the gifts that you bring to everything you do is that capacity to pay attention, to be listening when you're engaged in conversation, that attention to words, punctuation and white space on a page when you're writing, the attention to life experiences, how they connect to thoughts, to feelings, to actions, and then seeing the poem in everything that you do and everywhere that you go, that the writing is just one part of that. Yes. Does that... Does that feel like that captures that? Yeah, yeah. And again, it's like, it's it's a way of being too. It's not necessarily something that you decide. It's interesting for me with the journey because it's so connected to this before and after moment of grief 
But the before and after moment wasn't necessarily a sudden thing because it was through the grief that I was led to write in a journal and then from the journal to write out my feelings. And then from the feelings, I entered into this portal of playing with words and imagery and then it became something. And then in that seeing what that was, realizing it was poetry. So even then it was like it was coming from within me, but I had to see it outside of me to go back inside to follow Mm. the journey of that makes sense so and my, that's just my journey I know every journey is different some some people know they want to be poets from a young age and that's I think that's it there's such diversity and range with how we can come to what it is that we are compelled to do in life and I think for that reason when I think about the 20 years and how the quarry basically shows up in all of my collections in some form the image of the quarry in my poetics and then how how that sense too of it being like a container and and I feel like poems are little containers or like little quarries and the water is the words and the spaces in between the words and so they're containing these these organisms and different things are can be alive in that and so that's what you hope for can your poem be alive in some way engage in a way that I find too isn't necessarily coming from a place of direction and knowing that I'm making it the way I want it. I'm more listening to how it wants to be following what I can do with my skill set to bring it into being. So it's mystery again. And I think there's this quote by Albert Einstein, and he says, the most beautiful experience we can have is the mysterious. And I think that's just so true. And that experience of the mysterious can lead us to so many things. And He says then, it is the fundamental emotion which stands at the cradle of true art and science. So I'll just read that again. The most beautiful experience we can have is the mysterious. It is the fundamental emotion which stands at the cradle of true art and science. And that's Albert Einstein. So is he suggesting that the mysterious is an emotion? He is. The way you broke it up when you first read it, I'm like, well, what was the emotion? So I listened closely the second time. And the way this sentence is structured is the mysterious is the emotion. Mm -hmm. Yeah. How then would you say the mysterious has moved through your work? I think the fact that we are here on earth is itself a mystery of how we're here, what we're doing, trying to find meaning, all the chaos, all of the pain, and all of the love, and the sense of temporariness, the sense that time is ticking, and then the sense that the odd moments that we can have when we think, wow, one day I won't be here, because it just seems so impossible when we're in the flesh and bones of who we are. And then when we experience loss of people that who are also in the flesh of bones of who they were, and then they're gone, but they're so alive in our thoughts and our dreams and our memories and yet they're not so I think that if that's not all mystery then I don't know what is Wow. And you've just really beautifully connected the idea of creativity and creating through art, writing, etc. to to life and that yeah. mystery of, of being alive and what that feels like and looks like in the world. So how does it feel to have a new and selected works coming out? Like that's a big deal. Thanks, Jessica. Yeah, it's a little unsettling, I have to say, because it's such a marker in terms of your journey being from... 
this point of departure with the process. And here you are kind of on the journey, taking a step to put it all together in this concrete form called a new and selected. And then the sense too, of having them all in one little house. (laughs) And in that way too, having to encounter it too, to put it together in such a way. So you're not just knowing that it, you know, you have books on the shelf and, and you don't necessarily always go back to them unless you're doing a particular reading with them or something. And then this forces you to do that. So, but on the other hand, as I say, it's been interesting to see the different insights that I've discovered on my own journey. And I think if anything, if I was to go back and talk to myself as a young insecure writer, who's now probably just an older insecure writer, (laughs) who knows a bit more. (laughs) So there's, it's like, that's always going to be part of it. There's always going to be the mystery and the unknowing, but also the the mystery is going to help you along the way too. And the unknowing is also going to help you and you just have to keep moving through it. And in that moving through it, art will come and you'll find your way with how you want to move as a poet. And I think trusting that space to within of what matters to me as a writer. I think one of the things that can be quite freeing as a poet, and I say this a bit tongue in cheek, but it's partly true nobody reads poetry. (laughs) I mean, I say that with a big nobody, you know, like, are you nobody? I'm nobody too, Emily Dickinson, because poets read poetry, of course, right? But poets aren't necessarily the population that is engaged with it as they are Netflix, right? So it's just how things are. Poetry has been art that has always been with us, it will continue to be with us. And I think that's one of its strengths and superpowers is that it's kind of sidelined, because in many ways, it can't be marketed and it's not necessarily a commodity it's it's kind of just on the sidelines and to be honest I feel like that that's what makes it also so rare and beautiful it, make, it makes me think too just for a conversation about dandelions and orchids when we were talking about highly sensitive people I feel like poetry is kind of the orchid of the the art forms does that does what do you think well maybe maybe but I also think that poetry is is the art form that outlasts the others. Yeah. Yeah. So yes, in its in its in its lifetime, in the lifetime of the poet, there's a fragility there. However, when I think about what is still around and moving through and poetry seems to age well like wine. <laughs> It does. And I think that's the thing. So it's going to continue. And when I say nobody reads it, I of course people read it and of course it lasts I know all of that but what I mean is that I even noticed that from when I published poetry books and in my circle of family and friends people would be oh that's great you've written another book good for you but then when I wrote my first novel they were reading it (laughs) and I almost was like you're not allowed to read my work you never read my work but the novel was a place of entry for them as readers whereas the poetry was just sort of something that they, they couldn't necessarily move into or there wasn't that same interest. So I guess that's what I'm kind of talking about with that sense of a a big readership. It's not necessarily in the form that maximizes that as say prose and novels and nonfiction do. But I love that that it's to the side and so powerful as you say and and it is like wine so it is aging into what it needs to be and some poets are ahead of their time as well too and some as we know like Plath died before she knew she, what an impact she she continues to have on uh, on the poet poetry world and on readers and on writers so never know where a poem might go no i i I think there's been been a lot that we've we've talked about today about the journey about process about 
form, right? There's also as a writer over the over the decades, it's deciding what form chooses me or what form do I choose and and then leaning into that and finding your relationship within that and how that's going to unfold determining audience, who are we writing for? Why are we writing? It's not always an easy journey, particularly within poetry. I think what I've heard and maybe you've heard differently, but a bestseller for a poetry book is 500 copies, which Mm -hmm. is very different than other forms of print and books. Yes. And thinking about your creative journey, Jessica, when you go back to when you first started to where you are now, what are some of the key things that you feel from how you've moved from that point of departure to, to the person that you are now as a writer? Anything that comes to mind there for you? Well, I think what I what I'd like to do is maybe we'll dig into that next time, just given we've only got a few minutes left of this program, but to kind of enter in a little bit, I've been thinking a lot about the creativity spiral, which was an idea that I had a number of years ago and I put together a book called The Writing Spiral that had a series of eight essay type things and then there were 30 contributors and you were one of them that submitted pieces as well that were throughout to demonstrate each of the big ideas and it was thinking about how as we learn and we grow as writers so if we take the idea of the writing process whether we're six years old or 60 every time we sit down to write we're learning more about the writing process and that grows and changes. Because I'm an educator at heart, I feel that that's what I'm drawn to. I'm drawn to these theories, and these ideas, <laughs> and the trying to understand the mystery and to put it, the mystery into words. So I'm not content with just letting go of control and surrendering. You've, you've described so much about how it is just accepting the mystery and just kind of going along with it sometimes that the more I write over the last couple of decades, the more that I realize I don't have to work so hard. (laughs) Uh, Like it's still hard work. Don't get me wrong. But you allow yourself to be guided and pulled through the work instead of pushing it. It's a completely different experience. You have to really just kind of let go with that a little bit. And so I feel that when I first entered into that work with the writing spiral and the creativity spiral, I pushed it a bit. It was maybe I wasn't quite ready. And so that's something I'd like to unpack and go into more detail about and just thinking about how different big ideas move through us and our journey as writers as we change and as we grow. And a big part of my journey was thinking about form, for example. I knew I was a writer, but I didn't know what to write and I didn't know what form to write in. And so I became a playwright first because I was very involved in the theater. Then I was always writing poetry since high school that, well, since since I was elementary school, even I have some poems from when I was even like eight years old. So I was always writing anything, stories, poetry, little plays. I remember writing in, in elementary school, creating little soap operas that starred all my friends in like grade six and then we'd pass them around at recess about whatever was happening in these made-up soap operas and so I was always writing form has always been something I always know I always have the ideas of what I want to write about but I don't know what form to put it in and that's been for me what's come out of the last couple of decades is a better understanding of the form that I would write in and I am a poet but I am also a playwright I'm learning (laughs) 
<laughs> after my experience with Bernice and the Georgian Bay Gold, that I can also be a writer for children, which is really exciting for me to think more about exploring that because I, I that's not one I would have necessarily figured out on my own. So I'm grateful for the opportunities to experiment and explore and to look at story through different ways throughout the last 20 years. Yeah, look at all those things that have sprouted out of you because the creativity is so integral to who you are as a person and just the way that it also, and I'm sure... Well, I know from from knowing you, not only does it move through these various art forms, but it also moves through who you are as a as an educator as well. Thank you. Well, I think what we can do is we can get back into this when we get together again. That sounds great. And thank you. And okay. say hi to the morning doves for me, Jessica. I will. My gosh, you're <laughs> having a party out there. <laughs> I love it. I love it. All right. See you next time. Bye, everyone. Catherine Graham is an award-winning writer and creative writing teacher living in Toronto. Jessica Outram is a Métis writer and educator, Coburg's fourth poet laureate, and assistant principal of Indigenous education. The music has been generously provided by Shannon Linton. Connect with us online at thehummingbirdpodcast.com. Hey!